0: So I want to explore today uh, in relationship to the holiday of Thanksgiving, I want to explore the theme of gratitude and explore that both as a quality, state of mind, but also as a practice that we can undertake more fully. Uh, Hopefully, many of us will be called to do that in the next week. So I'll I'll suggest a a few ways to practice it. it's interesting. I, I was reflecting that um, in many ways the, the focus here at Spirit Rock and a lot of times among people interested in meditation is really pretty exclusively on mindfulness, on what we do in formal meditation and so forth. And we sometimes, I think, neglect uh, a host of other practices. There, there's a way in which We've uh, taken, uh, for example, from the Buddhist tradition, uh, a selection of the practices that might have been done in in a full context of training. And I think we sometimes don't give enough uh, weight to practices like the cultivation of gratitude or generosity, which were quite central in the tradition. And so I want to Explore that theme of of gratitude and it's um, Also, I I was reflecting on the uh, Holiday of Thanksgiving uh, Which in many ways is a wonderful holiday, you know, probably the most non-commercial holiday Um, Generally people are with families which for most families it's mixed Right, there can be challenges, but also good things, and you know can be wonderful in terms of food. But for some, maybe challenging in terms of food, or challenging after the food. Uh, But I I was reflecting that it's it's interesting that we have uh, within the very word Thanksgiving, in a sense, we have both an expression of gratitude in the word thanks. And we have a uh, expression of an offering through the word "giving. I hadn't reflected on that until like yesterday. I was getting ready for the talk, said, "Whoa, look at that." Both could because, because uh, in many approaches, there's a strong link between generosity and uh, gratitude, or between gratitude and giving, right? And gratitude can be a form of giving, but there's there's an interesting relationship and so this is, uh, this is from the Buddha from 2600 years ago. He makes a very explicit link between those two, uh, between uh, uh, generosity and gratitude. This is the translation. These two people are hard to find in the world. Which two? the one who is first to do a kindness that's the generosity and the one who is grateful and thankful for a kindness done so he's saying at that time not so common interesting right to find people who are generous and also grateful and Another passage I like from a more contemporary, from a contemporary Zen teacher named Steve Stuckey, the spirit of giving is based on a feeling of gratitude, of being deeply thankful for the ability to give and to receive, to be freely willing to participate in this reciprocal turning of life energies." that's something about the uh, nature of interdependence that we receive so much, and we can offer so much, and really participate in the uh, reciprocal exchange, and that that these qualities of uh, gratitude and generosity are, are very much linked. And I think many of us uh, feel uh, a lot of generosity and gratitude, probably in light of what's happening around us. Right? That you know that uh, again, I found myself. Uh, in emails yesterday, uh, talking about the expectation of rain and talking about rain as our savior, <laughs> right? Or in a way, really, uh, and we can I mean can really just be grateful that we have these natural cycles. And again, we may have our what our discomfort and uh, inconvenience uh, may be largely remedied. Maybe not entirely, but largely remedied by the rain. Of course, other places is different. Not far from here. But we can have that sense of gratitude towards uh, that lifting of the uh, uh, smoke. And maybe just right now, just tune in to your own sense of gratitude for what's been possible just by these natural cycles. Maybe the reason that uh, maybe the reason that gratitude and generosity uh, were not so common at the time of the Buddha, and maybe not always so easy to find here, is that we can really reflect that um, both uh, gratitude and generosity go against a lot of our uh, strong tendencies and conditioning. You know, in, in Buddhist language, we often talk about the core of our practice being to, on the one hand, work through greed, hatred, and delusion, right? or the compulsive wanting, the compulsive pushing away, which can happen in all sorts of manners. It can be through being judgmental, through blaming, through aversion of different kinds. Uh, and then the underlying delusion or ignorance, just a, a way that we don't know in some ways. We don't know our deeper nature, we don't know um, a lot of aspects about what motivates us. And so uh, the practice as a whole cuts through these, as- these dimensions and we develop positive qualities, we work through increasingly uh, what's left in our greed, hatred, and delusion, and we develop more mindfulness, wisdom, balance, equanimity, compassion—these qualities. That's that's the core of what we do. But it's interesting when you reflect on—we can reflect on uh, generosity and gratitude. Uh, generosity helps cut through when it's done as a skillful practice. Can cut through that self-centered wanting. You know, me, me, me the self-centeredness, the conditioning, which um, many of us still have residues of despite years of practice. Anyone relate to that? <laughs> okay. Okay. And, and in a similar way, it's interesting that gratitude is can be quite a potent practice because it can really cut through uh, aversion. And I think it especially uh, psychologists talk about the, the negativity bias, right? The way that is, I think Rick Hansen who teaches locally here, and wrote the book uh, Buddha's Brain. He says that our minds are like um, uh, what, like Teflon for the positive and Velcro for the negative, <laughs> right, right? And and so we have this negativity bias where we where, where we Scan especially for the negative. You know, we we, you know, we and One of the ways that's most obvious is that we're very very sensitive for negative comments about us, right? We can really you know, be on the alert, and often the positive comments uh, aren't taken in. And, and gratitude is actually a training that cuts through that tendency to be aversive, to have that negativity bias. It opens us up to the positive, to the whatever the glass more half full, which goes against some very fundamental conditioning. And so any of us here who have tendencies to be negative, should I ask for a show of hands? (laughs) Any of us who have tendencies to be more negative, a simple practice like gratitude can be very, very skillful. Even just doing it for uh, short periods, you know, a day, and I'll talk, I'll talk a little later about uh, ways that we practice. So gratitude is really a heart quality. Um, I like to think of it as, as one of the family, in terms of being a practice, as one of the family of what I like to call heart practices. From the tradition we have loving kindness, compassion, cultivation of joy, equanimity, but I also think we have a practice like gratitude. I'd like to see if we can have like a vote to include it within this family. Uh, we, you know, From tradition we have the family called the Brahma Vihara, the abodes of Brahma, which loving kindness, compassion, joy and equanimity. I'd like to see if we can have a contemporary vote to include Gratitude, huh? And, and a few other qualities: generosity, forgiveness. I like to include empathy as well. You know that. So we have right there. We have eight heart qualities. We're we're doubling the tradition. I hope that's okay. So, uh, so it's a quality of the heart. It really is uh, coming out of the conditioned mind or the the small mind. Um, this is from. This is from Thomas Merton, who's speaking here, from more from a, a Christian perspective. Again, I was just uh, nine days ago at the monastery, and I spend about a day there a year. When I, li- I lived in Kentucky for four years, and I used to uh, go out there for retreats, and was part of a group called the Thomas Merton Group, with monks and nuns from Sister, from the Sisters of Loretto. And I, you know, having a more Buddhist background, that came up almost not at all being there, right? It Because we would talk about how do you develop good qualities. We didn't talk about doctrine much. It was very easy. And again, it was wonderful to be out there. And I love the uh, the chanting. And so in a sense, they are, uh, the monks there, and I think probably similarly for the nearby sisters at the Sisters of Loretto, they are in a way offering gratitude much of the day. They all, they, they have seven times a day they chant, and the chants are often could be considered offerings of praise and gratitude. You know, they, they work with the Psalms and, and chant them. And I was, I was fortunate to be there. I have a friend there named Brother Paul Quannon who's a l- little bit like a Merton of our time because he's written, uh, he writes poetry and he t- does photography. And he's a little unusual. Cause he also travels outside the monastery. He's telling me about his uh, uh, his trip to Alaska, <laughs> which monks most of them don't, they don't do that. But and and he like he like he, he likes to. He, he writes poetry and sometimes he gets invited to go to uh, offer his poetry and he often does it with a friend of his who lives nearby who's a jazz musician. So you can imagine this monk, you know, reading his poetry with a jazz background. Anyway, he, he just came out with a book called In Praise of the Useless Life. <laughs> Very good, so this is from his mentor actually, uh, Thomas Merton. Um, he says, my own personal task, is basically to praise God. So again, Christian language, but we could translate that if you need to. My own personal task is basically to praise God out of an inner center of silence, gratitude, and awareness. This can be realized in a life that apparently accomplishes nothing. Without centering on accomplishment or non-accomplishment, my task is simply the breathing of this gratitude from day to day in simplicity, and for the rest, turning my hand to whatever comes, work being part of praise, whether splitting logs or writing poems, that uh, he offers that sense of gratitude on a daily basis, and it's uh, a very crucial quality. Again, in many traditions, uh, um, some of you may know there was actually what's called a uh, offering of Thanksgiving by the Iroquois you know, in you know, New York State uh, southern Canada there's a famous uh, Thanksgiving address uh, that they would offer at different times of the year not, not necessarily around this time uh, that uh, uh, were very just very central and I think maybe more central to their uh, way of understanding and leading what we might call a spiritual life uh, they just, they probably didn't, wouldn't use that language, but that is, that gratitude is right at the center. And so this is from that, uh, that address. With one mind, we turn to honor and thank all the food plants we harvest from the garden. Since the beginning of time, the grains, the vegetables, the beans and berries have helped the people survive. Many other living things draw strength from this too. We gather all the plant foods together as one and send them a greeting of thanks. So what would it be like to have that as something that one did regularly, to have gratitude like that? Clearly much more central. Um, This is uh, very similar. This is a poem from uh, the poet uh, Gary Snyder who who lives in uh, the uh, Sierras in California. And this is uh, this is actually, I think, was inspired by that uh, Iroquois poem. This is called Prayer for the Great Family. Gratitude to Mother Earth, sailing through night and day, and to her soil, rich, rare, and sweet, in our minds, so be it. Gratitude to plants, the sun-facing, light-changing leaf and fine root hairs, standing still through wind and rain their dance is in the flowing spiral and grain, in our minds, so be it. Gratitude to air, bearing the soaring swift and the silent owl at dawn, breath of our song, clear spirit breeze in our minds, so be it. Gratitude to wild beings, our brothers teaching secrets, freedoms and ways who share with us their milk, self-complete, brave and aware, and aware in our minds, so be it. Gratitude to water, clouds, lakes, rivers, glaciers, holding or releasing, streaming through all our bodies, salty seas, in our minds, so be it. Gratitude towards the sun, blinding, pulsing, light through trunks of trees, through mist-warming caves, where bears and snakes sleep. He who wakes us, in our minds, so be it. Gratitude to the great sky who holds billions of stars and goes yet beyond that. Beyond all powers and thoughts, and yet is within us grandfather's space. The mind is his wife, so be it. So how would you like to do something like that every day? Would you have a better perspective on things? Right? So I think that's what's being invited. So you know, there are different ways that we can practice uh, practice gratitude. And again, in Buddhist tradition, also very central, we have a hut. Uh, which is uh, just to the right as you come out of uh, this building called the gratitude hut. Uh, the word in uh, the Pali language is uh, katanuta. Uh, that's the, we don't hear that too much. That's the word for gratitude. But we have a gratitude hut where especially the gratitude is towards uh, teachers, towards uh, people who have been helpful. So just just reflect what you know what can we be grateful for what sorts of things can we be grateful for again in our time we can be grateful for today the rain maybe for like was mentioned earlier the those um, helping with the fire all sorts of things uh, can be grateful for what's been good in our lives we'd be grateful for what's been positive from our upbringing, from our ancestors Um, grateful for friends, community Uh, grateful for, again, what's uh, positive in uh, being in this country you know, being uh, very conscious of both the the challenges and the the wonders having, you know, having access, many of us, to healthcare that wouldn't have been around a hundred years ago, right? really reflect on the blessings of being in this particular time. There are also challenges, of course, of our time, but uh, we can we can reflect in that way. Uh, we can we may reflect on uh, being grateful for these particular teachings. Right, that uh, you know when I was first practicing, I met people who had tried to meditate in the nineteen fifties and sixties who didn't have teachers who didn't have good practices, and they struggled, they had ups and downs, we have the, you know, we have, you know, for those of us who appreciate mindfulness and these practices, we have access in the last 20 or 30 years to some of the great uh, resources of human history. I, I regard it that way, maybe you do as well. And those were not available if you lived here 50 years ago, hardly available. Right? And so we, we can be appreciative of our teachers, of the resources that are there, of the tradition, uh, the beauty of the land, you know, the beauty in our lives, people we're connected with. Um, and we can, we can do this practice in many ways, but first I wanna give you a little bit of a advertisement for why gratitude practice is a good thing to do. And this comes from the research that's been done a lot of it's been done close to here at, at the University of California, Davis. One of the main uh, researchers on gratitude uh, says this. If gratitude were a drug, it would be the world's best-selling product with a health, health maintenance indication for every major organ. <laughs> that they, When they do research on gratitude, and they, they do this by... You know, having a control group uh, not do gratitude practice, but just live their lives. And then they have a group that does something very simple. They keep a gratitude journal where they write every day what they're grateful for. Maybe they take 10 minutes, 15 minutes a day. And when they've done uh, research on that, uh, what they find is that the, you know, after 10 weeks, those who were in the gratitude group reported feeling better about their lives, and they, were, they, have a, they have measurements in these studies for measuring how happy you are. You know. And they found the people who were in the gratitude group were 25% happier. Interestingly, they reported less problems with their health, and those in the gratitude group exercised one and a half hours more each week. Those of you who have problems exercising, <laughs> you can do gratitude. Isn't that interesting? Basically, it had them look in the positive, made them more able that practicing gratitude, this is well documented, made them more able to both appreciate the positive and, as it were, go for the positive from doing gratitude. So, this is, uh, if, if uh, gratitude were a drug, it would be helpful. It's very helpful for mood neurotransmitters, reproductive hormones, social bonding hormones. It strengthens all these. Cognitive and uh, pleasure-related neurotransmitters. It increases dopamine. You ready to practice gratitude? Remember, this is the advertisement. Uh, It helps inflammatory and immune systems. It helps stress hormones. It helps with cardiac and EEG rhythms. It helps blood pressure, and it lowers blood sugar. Okay, and so uh, again, I think it, it goes against some of the conditioning that we have to focus on the negative, to to look for you know, to look for the problems in our lives. And so, how do we practice gratitude? Um, a few ways to do it. We can do something like the people in that uh, uh, control group, or the people in the gratitude study did. We simply attend ten minutes, fifteen minutes a day to what we're grateful for. And we can do that either by you know what. What I did for a few years was I did a practice every day for about five or ten minutes. I would one at first I would just. Um, try to be aware of what I was grateful for in in a bigger way. I wrote them down. I made a list of it. And then I looked at them and contemplated what I was grateful for every day. I did that for 10 minutes a day. That's one way to practice. Another way to practice would just be to each day spontaneously make a list of what you're grateful for, either large or small. Small things could be I'm grateful, but maybe not so small, I'm grateful it rained, I'm grateful I slept well, I'm grateful I met Spirit Rock, just to uh, bring those to mind and tune into them. Um, Another way to practice, I do a practice about four times a day, where I just, it's part of a, a larger practice, but I just invite, what am I grateful for right now, and I see what spontaneously comes to me. You know, and again, it can be big or small, but I just bring that to mind, and I do that four times a day and it just sort of circulates the gratitude energy in one system uh, another, another form of gratitude practice can be done with groups of people it could just be uh, it's, I think gratitude is closely linked to appreciation how many of you have been in either a family situation or a work situation where you were part of a group where people just said what they appreciate about each other
1: right?
0: that can be a very powerful practice. Um, You know, in in our workplaces, we're often so concerned with efficiency. And I remember being part of a group where we had like a, I don't know, a three-hour meeting. And the facilitator just had us say what we appreciated in the person next to us. We run around in a circle. And it totally changed the dynamic in the workplace, doing that from time to time, where, again, so much the focus can be on what we don't like, what's not working well. Again, this goes against very deep conditioning. And so, doing that in a family setting, you know, maybe tomorrow, right? Say what you're appreciative of. Uh, do it in a work setting. Have it be part of meetings. It can really, uh, can really change uh, dynamics. Um, one can go, you know, systematically through a list of different parts of one's life that you're... Uh, that you're grateful for, you know, in terms of health, relationships, uh, work, uh, practice, um, beauty, and so forth, and can go go through those. Um, one can be grateful for what's difficult. That we're getting now to advanced gratitude practice. You ready for advanced practice? Uh, that it's possible to actually understand our challenges and difficulties. If we take them in the context of learning, we can actually see how we learn from our difficulties. It's not always possible. and Not everyone can do that, but it can be possible to take our challenges, our difficulties, personal, interpersonal, and even on a social level, uh, as uh, as challenges and actually be grateful for the challenges. I was just thinking I had this interesting dream last night. I actually dreamed that I was attending a talk by President Trump, and he he came to Berkeley, California, where I live. And the, the um, those of you who are psychologists can meet with me afterwards. And <laughs> Offer me guidance on the meaning of the dream, but but uh, it was interesting because there was uh, there weren't that many people there. This was Berkeley, <laughs> low attendance, <laughs> like 20 or 30 people, and I was there, and I reckon and a lot of the people were they were they, they actually some of them didn't want him to talk, and I was part of a group that said let him talk. It was interesting, so. Um, okay, so anyone who has interpretations, can, <laughs> can, maybe a little later. But, but we, can, we can take challenges. You know, for many people, the current situation is a challenge. One, one thing that I, I forgot to say that I also remembered, um, there, there was a Native American writer named Sherman Alexie. Some of you maybe have read his novels. And he made the comment around Thanksgiving, we should have had a stricter immigration policy. <laughs> okay, so, um, so we, can, we, can, we can take challenges and even be grateful for them. Some usually after the fact, you know, that, but, that's, but even sometimes in the middle because we can see maybe how we're learning something from our difficulties, you know. So this is, this is a powerful poem about that. This is from uh, W.S. Merwin. And this was written exactly 30 years ago. This is a a poem about gratitude for difficulties called Listen. With the night falling, we are saying thank you. We are stopping on the bridge to bow from the railings. We are running out of the glass rooms with our mouths full of food to look at the sky and say thank you. We are standing by the water looking out in different directions. Back from a series of hospitals, Back from a mugging. After funerals we are saying thank you. After the news of the dead, whether or not we knew them, we are saying thank you. In a culture up to its chin in shame, living in the stench it has chosen, we are saying thank you. Over telephones we are saying thank you. In doorways, in the backs of cars and in elevators, remembering wars and the police at the back door, and the beatings on stairs, we are saying thank you. In the banks, that use us, we are saying thank you. With the crooks in office, with the rich and fashionable, unchanged, we go on saying thank you, thank you. With the animals dying around us, with our lost feelings, we are saying thank you. With the forests falling faster than the minutes of our lives, we are saying thank you. With the words going out like cells of a brain, with the cities growing over us like the earth, we are saying thank you faster and faster. With nobody listening, we we are saying thank you. We are saying thank you. And waving, dark though it is. So that's more advanced practice, isn't it? It's appreciating uh, the difficulties. Uh, A related poem, a little bit different tone, from uh, the the Sufi poet Hafiz. This is called, uh, the poem is called I Have to Seek the Physician. The physician is the one who gave him Medicine interesting the Buddha was also called the physician or the doctor the physician gives him the medicine that he might not want to take I Have to seek the physician because of the pain this world caused me I could not believe what happened when I got there. I found my teacher Before I left he said up for a little more homework (laughs) Okay, I replied well then try thanking all the people who have caused you pain they helped you to come to me. So we can have these different practices. So um, there's a really there's a powerful expression. Well, maybe I'll tell one more story, and then we can open things up. And this is, um, this is one of my favorite stories. This is uh, taught in the uh, book uh, called Kitchen Table Wisdom. How many of you know this book? By Rachel Naomi Remen, who lives around here, is also a physician. And this is a, this is a story. This is a story of a young man who um, lost his leg in his 20s. He said, one of the angriest people I've ever worked with was a young man with osteogenic sarcoma of the right leg. He had been a high school and college athlete, and until the time of his diagnosis, his life had been good. Two weeks after the diagnosis, they had removed his right leg above the knee. The surgery, which saved his life, also, for him, ended his life, he thought. Playing ball was a thing of the past. These days, there are many sorts of self-destructive behaviors open to angry young men. He refused to return to uh, school. He began to drink heavily, to use drugs, to alienate his former admirers and friends, and have one automobile accident after the other. After the second of these, his former coach called and referred him to me. He was powerfully built and he was handsome, profoundly self-oriented and isolated. At the beginning, he had the sort of rage that felt very familiar to me. Use my glasses. Filled with a sense of injustice and self-pity, he hated all the well people. In our second meeting, hoping to encourage him to show his feelings about himself, I gave him a drawing pad and asked him to draw a picture of his body. He drew a crude sketch of a vase, just an outline. Running through the center of it, he drew a deep crack. He went over and over the crack with a black crayon, gritting his teeth and ripping the paper. He had tears in his eyes. They were tears of rage. It seemed to me that the drawing was a powerful statement of this pain and the finality of his loss. It was clear that this broken vase could never hold water, could never function as a vase again. It hurt to watch. After he left, I folded the picture up and saved it. It seemed too important to throw away. In time, his anger began to change in subtle ways. He began one session by handing me an item torn from our local newspaper with an article about a motorcycle accident in which a young man had lost his leg. His doctors were quoted at length. I finished reading, and I looked up. He said furiously, those idiots don't know the first thing about this. Over the next month, he brought in more of these articles, some from the paper and some from magazines. A girl who was severely burned in a house fire, a boy whose hand had been destroyed in the explosion of a chemistry set. His reactions were always the same, a harsh judgment of the well-meaning efforts of doctors and parents. His anger began to occupy more and more of our time. No one understood them. No one was there for them. No one really knew how to help them. He was still enraged, but it seemed to me that underneath his anger a concern for others was growing. Encouraged, I asked him if he wanted to do anything about it. Caught by surprise, at first he said no. But just, just before he left, he asked me if, he, if I thought he could meet some of these others who had suffered injuries like this. People came to our teaching hospital from all over the world, and our chances were good that there were some with the sorts of injuries that mattered to him. Within a few weeks, he had begun to visit young people whose problems were similar to his own. He came back from these visits full of stories, delighted to find that he could reach young people. He was often able to be of help when no one else could be. After a while, he felt able to speak to parents and families, helping them to better understand and know what was needed. The surgeons, delighted with the results of these visits, referred more and more people to him. Some of these doctors um, had seen him play ball and they began to spend a little time with him. Gradually his respect for them grew, his anger faded. My favorite of all his stories concerned a visit to a young woman who had a tragic family history of breast cancer. Breast cancer had claimed the lives of her mother, her sister, and her cousin. Another sister was in chemotherapy. This last event had driven her into action. At 21, she took one of the only options open to her at the time. She had both of her breasts removed surgically, age 21. He visited her on a hot midsummer day wearing shorts, his artificial artificial leg in full view. Deeply depressed, she lay in bed with her eyes closed, refusing to look at him. He tried everything he knew to reach her, but without success. He said things to her that only another person with an altered body would dare to say. He made jokes, he even got angry. She did not respond. All the while, a radio was softly playing rock music. Frustrated, he finally stood, and in a last effort to get her attention, he unstrapped the harness of his artificial leg and let it drop to the floor with a loud thump. Startled, she opened her eyes and saw him for the first time. Encouraged, he began to hop around the room, (laughs) snapping his fingers in time to the music and laughing out loud. After a moment, she burst out laughing too. Fellow, she said, if you can dance, maybe I can sing. This young woman became his friend and began to visit people in the hospital with him. She was in school and she encouraged him to return to school to study psychology and dream of carrying his work further. Eventually, she became his wife. Long before this, we ended our sessions In our final meeting We were reviewing the way he had come the sticking points and the turning points i opened his chart and found the picture of the broken vase that he had drawn two years before unfolding it i asked if he remembered the drawing he had made of his body he took it in his hands and he looked at it for some time you know he said it's not really finished surprised i extended a basket of crayons towards him taking a yellow Crayon, he began to draw lines radiating from the crack in the vase to the very edges of the paper. Thick, yellow lines. I watched, puzzled. He was smiling, so there are these lines, yellow lines radiating out from the crack. I watched, puzzled, he was smiling. Finally, he put his finger on the crack, looked at me and said softly, this is where the light comes through. This is where the light comes through, he said. So let's just sit for a few moments. Maybe reflect on what was helpful or interesting that came up during the talk. Possibly something not even related to the theme of gratitude that was important to you. And let me invite anyone who'd like to speak, ask a question, uh, share a way that you practice gratitude. Uh, And we have mic. so wait for the mic to come to you. You can raise your hand and then a a mic can come. Um, Please.
2: One systematic way of practicing it is through the practice of Naikam, N-A-I-K-A-N, which comes from Japanese psychology. You can easily learn more about it on the internet, but it consists of asking three questions at the end of each day. What have I received today from Mm. others, and that could be an inanimate object, your computer, Mm -hmm. someone who was kind to you in the store. Mm. Um, Secondly, what have I given to others, Mm. and over a period of time the disparity between those two, your traditional responses Mm. between those two really sets up uh, a profound... Thinking and expectation. Yeah. And then lastly, the, the third question that one answers in a journal is what troubles and difficulties have I caused mm. others, uh, today? And it's, um, it's it's quite quite provo- provocative practice.
0: Yeah. Have you worked with that yourself? Yes. Yeah. And there's oh. a
2: place called the Tado Institute, and uh, you can take online courses with them. Yeah. They have a lot of related materials. But there's yeah, this, there's a simple book by Greg Creech and easily
0: and, and that book is called Nikon. And spell that.
2: N a i k a
0: n. N a i k a n, right? And so an example of a gratitude. They're they're quite simple, right? But the the idea is finding a way to tune in. Hopefully, on a daily basis, that can uh, just bring that energy. And again, it's especially valuable. For any of us who have tendencies to be negative and then won't ask show of hands. But anyone who has that, the gratitude, much like our Mudita practice, uh, where we tune into what's positive, again, it's not to deny the issues or the problems, but it's to kind of give a corrective in one's own uh, conditioning. So thank you.
2: Yeah, and it just is an amusing note. I first heard about it. He was interviewed on NPR, and he was talking about people being. Grateful to, to the toilet, for example, for, for functioning. Um, you could easily, at a more sophisticated level, talk about your computer or your car.
0: Yeah, but, but it's like that. In, in, in some forms of Zen practice, one actually bows to everything. You bow to your cushion, right? Because you could, you, could, you could really have it that way. I, I, I brought in a book which I didn't read from, uh, one of my favorite books, St. Francis Preaches to the Birds. And he thanks everything, you know. He, he wakes up and he says, it's 5 a.m., wake up St. Francis. He brushes his teeth and says, thank you, teeth. He brushes, he washes his toes and says, thank you, toes. So you get the idea, right? That this is, this is his day. He drinks his coffee, coffee at you know, 1100, but, and says, thank you, coffee, Right, uh, You know, he, he preaches to the birds, he watches the sunset, and uh, thanks everything, right? So, yeah, thank you. Please. Um,
3: I did a gratitude journal, journal for a long, long time. And what ended up happening is I would see something or something would happen during the day, and instead of just letting it go, if you're doing a journal, you're activated. to you think, "Oh, that's something I could write in my journal." So yeah. it brings a whole different way of thinking, just sort of um, without a plan.
0: Right. It's on your mind all the time. You see a beautiful evening. Oh, I'm so yeah. You
1: know, it's it's that simple, really.
0: That's right. It's, really, it's again, it's we can understand it as countering some of our conditioning that you know we, we again we have this negativity bias where we more likely. You know something difficult happens during the day we might go back and review it 50 times right something wonderful happens (laughs) you don't go back and review it 50 times right we might uh, but but this is actually helps us it's a kind of corrective for that conditioning some of which you know some of us have that more than others but i think it's also very strong in the culture and so we can really uh, uh, bring in more of this gratitude, and actually, we tune in to what we're given, in a sense. You know, again, in very ordinary ways. Yeah. Please, uh, Tom.
2: Uh, well, I'll admit right up front, I have a tendency towards negative thinking. Um,
0: Anyone else rel- share that? <laughs> okay, you're, you're not alone.
2: And so I just want really to express my gratitude for the stories like the one you finished reading a minute ago, yeah. that there are realities like that. There are transformations in the real world and goodness in the real world. Yeah. It's easy to ignore that. I, I'm glad you reminded us of that. And I feel very grateful that there are things like that happening all around,
0: yeah. all the time. That's right. Yeah, we can, especially with the fires, the rain, you know, news of this or that, we can, we can get a little bit overwhelmed where we're just focused on the negative, and so gratitude practice would be very helpful, again, it's not denying what's real, but it's helping the mind stay in balance, that's, that's a clear way to say it, right? So it helps us be more effective in action, actually, yeah.
4: This feels like true confession time. I also have had a very severe negativity bias of my own, um, some of which, I'm sure it's just part of the way the brain works normally, but I had very critical parents as well, and so it was a pattern mm. of seeing the negative, seeing the negative. I was um, a second grade teacher, and in any group of 20 or 25 kids, you're going to find somebody who's doing something wrong or inappropriate. And what I found is that it was really bringing me down to focus on trying to notice those negatives and bring them back. And I don't know where I got the idea, but instead of if I had a group of children and one was doing something inappropriate, I would find someone who was doing what I wanted them to be doing and compliment them. Wonderful. Or just say, I noticed that someone has their book out and they're ready to start to read, or, or whatever it was. And by focusing my attention on that one positive thing, I could influence lot of kids at the same time all of a sudden everyone is grabbing for their book and wanting to be the one whose name is noticed for doing the right thing it was very i'm sure the parents of these children appreciated it the children appreciated it it was very beneficial for me not to spend my whole day nagging kids all day long
0: yeah a wonderful example and uh really really points to how you know, what we're focusing on today could really be the basis for, has been the basis for shifting how we teach, how we parent, how we work with various helping professions. I was also thinking, it also has shifted how we, uh, how coaches work in sports. Right now, we have we have the local example, right, of the Golden State Warriors, right, and you know I've often expressed, you know, their four guiding principles. Remember those? Uh, mindfulness, compassion, joy, and competition, which they, I think they throw in just to not look too weird. Um, but, um, but it really, you know, the old style of coaching was to focus on the negative, what people have done bad, to chew them out. And it was interesting because I, you know, I, I lived in Kentucky for um, four years. And at the time, I, would go, I was going to a, a noon swim uh, for faculty and the uh, coach of the basketball team, And those of you who know sports a little bit know that basketball is pretty big in Kentucky. I often say it's bigger than Jesus and Jesus is pretty big in Kentucky <laughs> too, <laughs> right? And I have this plan where, you know, I would get to know the coach, would, he would start bringing in mindfulness and a different strategy because we, those of us who watched the games, we would see that he worked with fear. And what that meant is that they would do really well, but then they would have a lot of inexplicable losses because they would do badly for a stretch and then get paralyzed because they were fearing the wrath of the coach. And they would be unable to be in the moment and do their best. And we, we had noticed this. I was going to change all that and... You know, change Kentucky, and you know millions of people in Kentucky would start meditating, and would spread to the rest of the country. We, you know, and unfortunately, just as I was getting to know him, he got fired. So, so none of that happened. But uh, but still, the I was reminded of that visiting just a while ago. But the, uh, the point is that a lot of the coaches, you know, I remember some of you may remember last year the there was a game where the. Warriors had lost, and all the coach said was, "Not enough joy. Let's have just more joy." And they won. <laughs> yeah. Please. Yeah. Hi.
2: Hey. Um, so
5: basically, when you said like be grateful for the difficult times, I recalled yesterday. Like I went through like this conflict, and um, you know my mom basically she she broke her, her foot and so mm. she has been you know at home and really struggling to be in that state of like gratitude and so um yesterday when like, i'm sort of grateful that i went through that conflict because i was able to connect with her and sort of understand that we were both going through something mm-hmm. but like mm-hmm. i was able to like you know I, I told her, like, you know, I'm really grateful for you and, and you well, know, that we're able to connect right now in this level. Yeah. And that, like, I want you to know that we're going to get through this. Yeah. And, you know, there's, yes, this is a difficult time for you, but, you know, you are going to get through it. You are going to walk again. And yeah. And I want you to see, and I told her, I was like, you know, I want you to see, you know, um, just everything that you have is worth that. You know, mm. I want you to get up in the morning and just recall all of these beautiful things that, like, you have mm. and that you're grateful for. And then, you know, all of a sudden, because I was, I was, you know, a little, you know, anxious and flustered because of the conflict that I had, you know, <coughs> going through with my roommate. And so, like, all of a sudden, that just, like, dissipated. And I was mm. like, okay, I'm actually grateful that this conflict happened because it, it's bringing me back to just, like, be centered and be more kind and compassionate
0: well, and forgiving instead of being in that like angry state right, yeah. well quite a story and yeah I mean, I mean what, what you sure, let me ask you a question if I could, yeah, just that what you brought up really points to the fact that at times this is again where maybe the gratitude practice links with our mindfulness practice that of course when something difficult or unpleasant happens one of the tendencies is just to get fixated on it that's all that there is, you know. We have no room for anything else in our minds, and we could ask a question: What helps us to not be stuck like that? Yeah. Right? And you could point to different things. Mindfulness might be one of them. Just knowing, oh, this is what's happening. That that's a help. What help, what would help you to get not be stuck just in focusing on the negative?
5: Um, I think. In that moment, the relating, the feeling connected that I wasn't alone with my yeah. mom. Yeah. And, you know, I think that's what helped me. Mm-hmm. And then also focusing on, you know, because I, I did lose my temper and I was angry. And so basically, like, focusing on something more like positive, like forgiveness mm-hmm. or compassion. And so switching it over. Yeah, right?
0: like, very that's good. What
5: that's what helped me get out of
0: that. But you had to in the first place know that you were in it, right? Yeah. Yeah, which again, sometimes when we're in it, we don't know we're in it. So again, that's where the mindfulness can occur. Exactly. That's the tool. You knew that was working for you, but then you actually could say let me bring in some other qualities like the compassion, connection and that. So so that gratitude is very related to this. Just how do we how do we not get stuck in the negative states when difficult things happen? Right, so it's a whole area we could explore. Yeah, yeah.
5: In that moment too, my mom was also very fixated on her
0: complex. She was she was fixated on the negative, yeah. yeah. And you were able to help her shift, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah.
5: yeah. And then this morning, I just you know, I text her. I was just like, I love you. Like you're worth it. Just like remember everything that you're grateful for. And I know that you know that's definitely a shift. Mm-hmm. You know, especially if like you know her mind is.
0: Great, that's great. That's great, and um, I can guess one thing she's grateful for. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Uh, Chris, in the back.
1: Yeah. I just had an experience when I drove out here, and I was in mean, holiday dread, and I drove <laughs> over the hill, White Hill, and I came down by the spirit rock, the actual rock itself, and then up whole field of, of birds flew into the sky. It was really incredible. But then I also went, oh my God, there's been all this environmental damage. And but the spectacle was so awesome of these birds it it triggered me into the present. And I just couldn't stop looking at these birds. Yeah. And but my mind wanted to go negative. My mind, oh my God, mass extinction, blah <laughs> blah blah. But the birds were so incredible in their display yeah. and, and the way they were flying that it, it just kept triggering me into present. It yeah. wouldn't let me go there. It wouldn't yeah. let me go negative. And I've seen some of the coolest stuff on this. Pro- I've seen a mountain lion on this property. Yeah. And it was like mind blowing and, and so, and it just triggers you, the nature, yeah. yeah. Triggers you in the present. Yeah, yeah. And, and gratitude, Aya Sabana spoke at Marin Sangha on Sunday and she talked about, gratitude is the way of peace, the way of peace,
0: to, yeah. to focus on peace. Yeah, 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 again it's, um, gratitude is one kind of practice which helps us to avoid getting stuck, again bringing out the positive when we're focused on the negative. And there are these other ways to do that that we mentioned just now. So it's kind of very related, this theme, is to how are we skillful when unpleasant, difficult, painful things happen and what helps us to be skillful and not get stuck, right? That's what we're looking at. Again, while not, not being in denial, not interested in uh, not looking at the difficult realities, but we're interested in uh, being able to respond, which means we have to have some, some degree of balance. Yeah, I think maybe last one, and then we'll give some guidance for next week.
3: I don't want to talk too much, but in 2013, my husband, my husband and I have always been extremely active. We met skiing. We've been exercising ever since. He fell on his head, and he had intracranial bleeding. He ended up paralyzed the left side of his body. And my two assertive daughters talk Kaiser into sending descending to Vallejo. Anybody has Kaiser. If you ever need physical therapist, Vallejo was a top flight place. And the way I I cried a lot. So what do you do with a paralyzed husband? And then I drive over to Vallejo every day, and I look at the beauty of that drive. The mm. hills, the water, and then. I did it every day and i fix him a special sandwich because the food isn't all so great. And the other thing I was very thankful, we had gotten long-term care. He didn't want it. And boy, was that helpful. But he worked back to being on a walker and then um, but during that period with him, I learned that I wouldn't have a life if I looked at the neck. Yeah.
0: And
3: then he he was sick again and he finally died a year ago and i decided after he died that i was going to create a new life for myself and to do that i had to be positive so Mm -hmm. that's what i do every single day of my life as i look at what i have and i'm really coming here such a blessing, but mm-hmm. I do look at the positive, as long as I can see nature, I love being outside. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. so. and I have to say one thing, Nan said to me once, I took a workshop here at Loss, and I said I thought like one of those Japanese cracked bowls mm-hmm. that you can heal yourself with um, gold and gold. And, gold, and, gold. <laughs> and Nan said to me, you know, when you you have a cracked bowl, you let the light in
0: yeah, that
3: really
0: was helpful to me. Yeah, great. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you for really sharing your own exploration. And, and uh, yeah, one, one way of doing gratitude practice would just be to be with beauty every day, have a deliberate uh, practice, even if it's five minutes, being with what's beautiful, whether it's you know, trees or flowers or forests or art or music or whatever but just to deliberately be with beauty uh you know in many traditions uh beauty is an antidote to fear it's, it's interesting that way so just in closing how many of you would like to do a gratitude practice in the next week even if it's you know, just a few minutes a day okay so um We've named a few ways to do it. Maybe I'll just review and see which of these resonate. Maybe you have your own way. Could be like to be with beauty and connect that with gratitude. Could be to have a list of what you're grateful for that you read every day. Could just be to take five minutes or ten minutes and uh, reflect on what you're grateful for both in the moment and maybe what's happening during the day as well as uh, longer lasting themes of gratitude. You could work with the uh, explore the Nikon method answering those three questions what have I received? What have I given to others? What troubles and difficulties have I uh, encountered? So see what way of practicing gratitude seems to call you. Might be something not mentioned. And just sit with that and bring to mind how you'll implement this in the next week. come back next week and we'll compare notes. And we'll continue the uh, inquiry. And those of you who are for are not necessarily doing a regular practice, just to you know, just to bring to mind whatever is helpful to take forward from our morning together. And then we close with a traditional practice called the Dedication of Merit, where we remember that we do these various practices for ourselves but also for others others in our lives and then most broadly we offer the benefits of our practice of our time here to all beings which includes us Thank you very much, and uh, to be continued. (laughs) Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.